welcome to episode 21 of the Fan Fiction Tapes. I'm going to be your host today, Maya, and I am joined by... Like always, it's Dylan. Hi. And we have a guest today of my choosing for once. Introduce yourself. Yeah, alright. Hello everybody. My name is uh, Romka, um, and I'm a friend of Dylan's. I've helped him with writing a little uh, every so, so often, and yeah, I like doing some writing on my own every once in a while as well. And as always, I'm our producer, Ian. Today's episode is all about steaks, and no, not the kind you eat, or economic steaks. Although I suppose that could actually be the steaks at hand. We're talking about the steaks in a story. And to start us off, just to provide a useful definition for steaks in storytelling, it's what there is to lose. What are the consequences of failure? Possibly even the consequences of success. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have anything to add to that, I suppose. I mean, it is correct. That is very factual. That of mm -hmm. steaks. I guess you could also say... Um, so, I imagine you could say like it's kind of the change that undergo or that happen after, you know, a character or a story beat happens, so to speak. So, if you're running a story, you know, or, you know, looking at a story from a vacuum, there's always bound to be changes based on the actions uh, undergone by characters and such. So, I guess those could also be seen as stakes, and, yeah, that's... Yeah, they can be major stakes, but they can also be small, right? Oh, I love small stakes. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's actually kind of one of the things that's going to be an issue for me, is I mostly write fairly low-stakes stories. Stuff happens, but... Pretty rarely is anything more than a couple people at any kind of risk. You know, maybe the characters will break up, but there's not often death on the line. When there is, it's not an international case. Uh, compare against, uh, you know, Marvel movies where quite frequently the world or even the galaxy is at risk. Yeah, that is a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, where you look at uh, a lot of films, especially in Marvel, and you look at how a lot of the Marvel films are like, oh yeah, this is world ending, world ending, world ending. It's like, God, how many times is the world going to be nearly ended? Can we, can we not? <laughs> Do we get a smaller story for once? Yeah, I think not only like Marvel movies are you know guilty of this. I think in a lot of cinema movies, especially modern ones, they try to always uh, up the stakes to like a ridiculous degree. Where you know sometimes the world can indeed you know end, and yeah, that's really big. But then they keep building it up and up. Um, I think one example that I really thought of quite recently is um, the last Star Wars trilogy, right? Um, from what we can see, right, the first movie was all about like oh uh, another Death Star, right? I can destroy a bunch of planets at once. And, yeah, the stakes were somewhat high there, but it wasn't exactly like, you know, these plans were very important to us, at least. Uh, at least from my perspective, <laughs> I suppose. I mean, yeah, I mean, it sounds a bit screwed up to say it, I know, but, I mean... Did didn't you they, know, like, shoot... Didn't they fire on the capital of the New Republic? Yeah, that's I guess, Coruscant. It was the new capital. It was a new capital, yeah. That's the main issue, yeah. It was like a new capital, and yeah, they mentioned it's like, oh, it's like several billions of people and such. But it doesn't really have the same uh, impact as, let's say, um, I think it was Alderaan in like uh, the first Star Wars movie, right? Where mm -hmm. it had to do with, you know, the princess, the main, one of the main characters, and yeah, the impact at, the, at that time especially was very, you know, it was insane at that time. 
And that's also, yeah, that, that's the first time a planet has been killed in Star Wars. Is it's, oh, shit. Yeah, it's... it's that's immediate... a whole planet. Yeah, and I think it also really sets, like, you know, the stakes of that universe where, you know, it was the first movie in a whole series, and it right away said, like, holy holy moly, you can destroy an entire planet, you know? It's like, it's a, it's a weapon unlike anything else, really. And that really sets, you know, some major stakes, like, we need to destroy this weapon or else... You know, who's next? What's next? Yeah. Anyone who doesn't agree with us will just blow up their planet. That's fine. Yeah, basically, yeah. Whereas in the new trilogy, it's like, we destroyed five planets at once. But, oh, yeah, it, it doesn't really feel that important. And then in the, like, the, move, like, the final Star Wars movie, they mention, like, oh, we've got like a whole fleet of uh, starships that can all destroy planets, and it kind of becomes almost numbing really because it's like okay you know you can destroy even more plants now like isn't it a bit too much now and i think at that point you kind of get like an exhaustion where you don't really feel as invested anymore or the threat becomes less because it's just kind of you know more of the same yeah for once can we not have a plant destroying thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> like exactly. whatever whatever you say about the prequels at least it's not the exact same thing they're not trying to destroy planets. We're, we're seeing a democracy crumble. And that's mm -hmm. a different sort of stakes, you know. I think there's also some stakes in the prequel trilogy in terms of, like, the character development. Like, um, yeah. in the first movie, it's like, oh, Qui-Gon Jinn dies, and they're still the Sith are out there, you know. They are, the stakes are now being raised. And slowly but surely, over those prequel movies, you see the rise of the Sith, you know. It's, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, we also, there's, the stakes there are different. We know what's going to happen. We know the Sith are going to win. And so that, that affects the type of stakes that can happen, because you can't really threaten planets with a world killer if you know in the end the good guys are going to lose. Yeah, because then because then it like... makes it makes the good guys defeat if they're able to defeat a world cracker, it, it makes their defeat seem unrealistic. Yeah, and uh, we use the Star Wars example, but you look at like uh, many things, and a lot of times they struggle with the progression of stakes too. So, and that and it sometimes you know they move too quickly, and it's like we go from. 1A to, like, suddenly 10A, it's like, whoa, what happened here? Why did we skip a bunch of places? Or they try to bring the stakes down, where you go from such a world-changing event to something a little bit more minor. Sometimes it feels like a bit of a whiplash, you know? I can definitely agree with that, although I do think that having some low moments as well can really help with the flow of the story, because if you keep making it bigger and bigger, keep increasing the stakes, it results in the story eventually just becoming, like, you know it doesn't really feel realistic anymore or you're going it... to wear your readers out exactly um, i kind of want to talk a little bit about this because i had in our notes a section on hype management and sorry dylan i was going to mention brandon sanderson again um <laughs> <laughs> but he manages to raise and lower the stakes and so that if you're running at full tension for you know an hour that's gonna fucking suck bro but if you run high intensity, 15 minutes, you walk a little bit, and then you get back to sprinting, that's more sustainable than just sprinting the whole time. You're going to end up covering more distance because you're 
not going to pass out. Sure, sure. That analogy okay. was a little bit tortured, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but it's I, the understatement yeah. that it's good to have those moments of respite. It's good to have those downtime in between where you go, okay, let's have a bit of a breather. You know, after a huge event, sometimes you just want, okay, let's reset for a few times before we start the next big, huge thing. I think another benefit of having a pause in it is that you can really let the consequence of the actions sink in. Like, um, I think that one thing that, for instance, like when you mentioned the Marvel movies again, right? Um, at the end of Infinity War, there was a moment where you really got to see, you know, the consequences of the failure. And it really hits a lot harder when you see it happen instead of like, oh, you know, the stakes are, it's like, it's over, whatever. You really start seeing the consequences. And I think it can even work a bit if you're like writing something more, uh, almost kind of more scary or more something depressing or dark to really like drag on the consequence to really hammer in like you know hammer on about the fact that these consequences are hap have happened and they cannot be changed anymore it it's this is the this is how it is now you know yeah like if you think uh about um like on reference like the most recent season of my hero academia after the big 13 episode like battle and everything and things being destroyed in cities they take a good few episodes just as like, okay, this is what happened to like everyone, this is what happened to society, your individual characters, and it lets you breathe before you go into the next arc. Uh like the entire quote unquote war arc I think ends up being I think eighteen episodes? And that's a long arc. A long ass arc. You know? And when you have your characters basically two thirds through the arc lose it's like, okay, now we're going to spend the next six episodes looking at how how that loss and how those stakes and everything has affected the characters. Yeah, I think that's really important when you're telling a continuous story that's not just a single installment, you know, it's not just one movie, it's not just one book. When you're telling really a series or a season, you can't win all the time. Because otherwise, your audience is going to get desensitized to winning all the time. There has to be... Now, okay, I should rephrase this. It doesn't... You shouldn't have unconditional victory all Absolute the time. Absolute victory, yeah. I, I think Sometimes. one thing you should... Yeah, I think the way you should probably phrase it is like the status quo should not always remain. There should be changes in it. Yes. Yeah. Dylan, you were also going to say something, right? Or... Uh... Yeah, sometimes you have to have a Pyrrhic victory, where it's like, I won, but at what cost? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's, victories that have their own consequences are good, because it means that when you show your audience more consequences in the future, they're not going, oh, you know, they'll win, they always win. Um, actually, I started watching the new Gundam show, Witch from Mercury. Mm -hmm. Great show, love it, very gay. <laughs> um, due to some kind of, I think probably what I would call a fairly large mistake uh, in the setup of the show concept, they can't ever afford to actually outright lose. At least the protagonists can't. But they have... The, the show writers have done a very good job of working around that, and so even though they win, 
there are often other consequences to that victory, which is shown especially in the uh, final episode of the first season, which I shall not spoiler, but... Goddamn. <laughs> yeah, it's usually... When we think about stakes, we think about, okay, this is what we have to do. If they do it, you know, this is why everything's okay. But what if they fail? And you got to think of those stakes and make those seem important. Because if, if you don't know what failing means, sometimes that's also a problem. Because you don't know why you should be rooting for the hero. If you understand, like, if... I have a villain who wants to do something, but him succeeding doesn't... I don't really know why it's bad. You know, you see that when multiple times in stories where uh, it's like an establishment who's fighting against someone who's like, I'm going to change stuff because the way stuff is now sucks. It's like, why do I care if the establishment win again? What I'm trying to talk about is, did you guys ever see the Inhumans TV show? Uh, no, I haven't seen it. I do was, not, no. It was nope. terrible. It was very bad. <laughs> so, so they live in a caste system where the better your powers, uh, your superhero powers, the mo- the higher ranking in society you'll have. Okay, that's... So the brother of the one of the main characters, he, do- he doesn't have any powers. And people who don't have powers are basically the lowest in society. Uh, so yeah, he he has a revolution and sends all the royal members of this caste system to Earth, and um, and you know he he tries to change society, but I'm meant to root for the caste system, the people who want to keep the established system. Why? <laughs> like if they fail, a new system is put in place, I guess, which is somehow worse for the people on the moon. <laughs> Because that's where they live, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, that's really a problem. If you're like, okay, why the consequences of you failing don't seem too bad, actually. <laughs> you know, yeah, give well, me I mean, that's, a reason. <laughs> that's the um, I think what we can call the Rowling trap. It's the status quo is usually presented as good because the author is benefited by the status quo in real life. Yeah, so the idea is... It, it, but that Maintaining the status quo is just not as motivating. It's not interesting. It's yeah. fairly boring. Um, and that's one of the many, 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 many problems with the Harry Potter books and movies and apparently new TV show. Ugh. I can't believe they're doing that. Why are they making another show? Money. <laughs> Money uh, and to push out the actors from the movies, pretty much all of which despise her. Vanity project. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, and now, so we've kind of, I feel like my if I take a bit of your hotness here. Uh, we've talked a bit about, like, how does one stake? I feel like we've established that pretty well. Uh, we talked about how to transition pretty well from one to another, I feel like. like, But I think we should go in a little bit more on that. So, obviously, when we start our stories, usually we we present with, like, a minor villain or a 
someone who we think is the main villain but is actually a subordinate to the main bad guy. Usually we do that. We don't often encounter the final bad guy early on. I'm trying to figure stories where the first bad guy you meet is like the main bad guy. In oh, uh, shoot. It's hard. Yeah, it's and hard it's, to and say And it's not that. like a mystery. It's like he's the known bad guy and we're after him. Not like a twist one either. I mean... Hmm. I think in movies you generally tend to have maybe more, you know, like um, at least with like proper villains, like especially in old Disney films, um, you generally get to see the villain right away because you know they need a presence. They need to be shown like, oh, these guys are threatening, because you know that adds to the you know to the tense uh, the tension of the story. But in TV shows and other like long projects, yeah, I definitely see that it being the case that the main villain is usually preserved to the background because you can start building up towards him. Yeah. Okay, I am going to counteract this with a couple of TV shows, actually. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, both of the Avatar shows and Arcane. Uh, oh, definitely. In Avatar, while we don't meet Ozai for quite some time, he is very early on in basically the first episode, you know, the Fire Lord established as the main antagonist. Uh, and Legend of Korra in, like... I don't know. I don't think it's episode one, but very early on, I've actually been rewatching Legend of Korra because I prefer it to The Last Airbender. Don't at me. Um, <laughs> in like episode two or three, we're introduced to, uh, maybe even in episode one, we're introduced to the Equalists, and there's a, they've established as a head. And in like episode two or three, we meet Amon, who is the head of the Equalists. I believe they were actually introduced in episode one because I vividly remember at the end of episode one that Amon and like the Equalist are listening to like a radio broadcast of Korra's speech. I'm not sure though, maybe I'm incorrect, but that's what I remember. Uh, you're probably right. I have a brain like Swiss cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of holes. Um, and then in Arcane, Silco is set up in episode one as an antagonist. Just plain and clear. We don't, I think it's hard to pinpoint a main antagonist within Arcane because... Oh boy. <laughs> everybody is doing many things in that show. Yeah, everybody wants to be their enemies. In the song. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but even with that, uh, what, what I've, I mean like is usually the characters don't interact with the main bad guy at first. Even Definitely, in, in yeah. those stories you mention, still they've got to go through Zhao Zuko uh, before you know Azula they even get to well, Azula. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like, I was thinking the we, very same thing. Yeah, yeah. We got to go through them. We got to go through the mini bosses first. <laughs> and uh, in Arcane, you know, we get like all uh, these no-name Backstreet Bullies. <laughs> I'll go through them. Even though they're completely minor, and the uh, enforcers Deku too. has a name. Sure, but the rest of them, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> but you also get, like, uh, the enforcers, too, and they're kind of the bad guys. You know, different bad guys, but, you know, they're cops, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but After yeah, how hard I tried not to be political with it, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Just gotta beat them over the head. Much like a police officer in America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, then, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, yeah. at least I can protest. Sure. <laughs> Brutal. 
But yeah, we're talking about Arcane though. It is interesting when we talk about stakes and, you know, we're focusing mainly on, if we look at like uh, Act 1 and we look at Jace's story, Jace's story has completely different stakes compared to like Vi's story. And those are the two main stories of Act 1. But they have completely different stakes. One is about this dude is probably going to get banished from the city, and the other one is, like, more life and death. But both are very, uh, what would be the word? They're very interesting. They keep your attention, you know? I, I think perhaps what's interesting as well is that, personally, for each of them, they are very, very high stakes, because Jace, right, he came to the city through magic, so for him, exile from Piltover probably reminds him of almost dying in those mountains and is probably I say probably it's almost certainly the worst thing he's ever been threatened with he's lived Definitely. a bit of a privileged life but I mean <laughs> for Vi the worst thing she's ever been threatened with is well death yeah and uh, I think we can talk about now the next point Maya if you would Alright. And high. Writing low versus high stakes. As I mentioned uh, at the start of the episode, I like to write lower stakes. I have mentioned several times on the show that I am a pantser rather than a plotter. I don't really think things out. I just put words on paper and then the words happen to me. And in almost all cases of what I've written, there's Really no stakes other than some interpersonal stakes. And that, for me, is a little easy. I don't have to worry about balancing how the audience is going to react to it because, well, it's it's something that happens to pretty much everyone. And for me, I think that's part of what makes low stakes easy is it's it's very relatable. You can worry about not getting a good grade or... You can relate to having gender dysphoria. You can relate about worrying if you've up your project. But it's a little bit harder to relate to needing to save the world. Yeah, some sometimes you just need a story about, oh, my bus broke down. My school is <laughs> an hour and 30 minutes walk away. How do I get there? <laughs> and it's like, you can... Based, if your character fails together, it's like, I'll miss my test. That's really important to my future. Like, there. <laughs> there's your story. <laughs> you can have wacky adventures in between and see if your character makes it in time or whatever. Or hell, even just have a character be worried about their attendance record. I, shit, I know. I was worried about that enough as a kid. I had bigger concerns, but... The reason I almost never skipped school. <laughs> Stay in school, kids. <laughs> yeah, remain. No, don't. School's cringe. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is how Republicans are made. <laughs> uh, but yeah. You ain't wrong. <laughs> I, I think uh, when we talk about high stakes, high stakes are those big world changers, the world enders, the, you know, society breakers, whatever. And... That's the difference, is we go from something that affects small amounts of people to affects a large population. And it's like, 
but it also can be relative for the characters. So if you look at, like, if your character is, like, I don't know, a, a seven-year-old, for example, what is high stakes for a seven-year-old and what is low stakes for a seven-year-old? Low stakes is, I ate the last cookie and I'm lying to my parents about it, but they will find out. <laughs> but that's, high stakes... that's, like, medium stakes, I think. <laughs> oh. Yeah, don't let the parents find out. Dude. That's going to be horrific. Well, that's parents some consequences find... right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Angry but, parents. But... High stakes might be something a little bit more important, you know? Uh, something involving friends, or an argument they had, or maybe even stuff like parents' divorce and dealing with that. And that's how you think about it relative to characters and the world. When you make a world or whatever, you've got to think, okay, how big is this for the character I'm writing this for? Because... Even stuff like, if we talk about, take the Marvel movie example, the stakes are lowered after the first time a character has done it. So, like, <laughs> Doctor Strange, after saving the world for the fifth time, saving the world isn't really as big a stake anymore. <laughs> you, need, you need something wilder or different after that's, that point. That's yeah. also why they're kind of going for the multiverse at this point, because, you know, the galaxy has already been saved multiple times, so why not just, you know, save the entire, like, multiple galaxies at once? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it goes when you're increasing stakes. And really, the only experience I have with doing any kind of high stakes is through D&D, where you almost have to stumble into higher stakes, right? Not, at least in my experience playing D&D, not a lot of groups really necessarily from day one set out to save the world. What's in front of you is, hey, we need money because, you know, you need food or whatever, right? You're, if you're starting out as an adventurer, you know, you're doing simple jobs just to make coin to get by. It is a living for you. And then as you get better and more experienced, more stuff comes up. And when at one point you were fighting off wild animals, now you're facing a lich. Or what became simple bodyguard duty started a fight for your plane. Hmm. It's escalation is really it, the only way I've ever gotten to high stakes. I, I never start with high stakes, and that might almost be more just down to how I write and what I prefer to write as a writer. Well, when you think about D&D, it's all... Since most campaigns start at a lower level, you don't typically have those big stakes at those lower levels because you're just not ha able to handle it. Your characters are like, you know, I, I am half up with mommy problems. Help me. It's like, that character <laughs> isn't ready to face, you know, a world ender or a, you know, the cambion that is pretending to be the king. They're not ready for that yet. They need they they need to figure out some stuff first. So you know when you go through and writing. Oops, sorry. Mm -hmm. What uh, I was gonna ask? Didn't we almost uh, kill that Cambian character like a level or two before you were supposed to? No, no, it was like it was fine. You killed him. No, no, no. Uh, when, I, when I um cast hmm? heat metal on the sword. Uh oh, you mean uh the other one? Yeah. No, yeah, you, yeah. You went. 
uh, likely to kill him. It was more... But, yeah, there was some opportunity there. You could have if you roll really well and whatever. And that's why you guys... Sometimes, you know, your players get away with shit. <laughs> they overperform. And sometimes Lucky they rolls, underperform. you know. Yeah. Lucky rolls. Sometimes they underperform. And you're like, how can you beat up these two large beetles? I actually have like, a really funny story in terms of, like, terrible roles with, like, a campaign that I'm running or, well, a story that I'm writing with a friend of mine. Uh, me and my friend are currently writing a story of a uh, a young vampire who basically wakes up in modern the modern world, right? Right. And the one of the main story beats that really affected the story, like added huge stakes to the story, was that at one point, right, he had to deal with a particularly nasty vampire hunter, and I basically the main reason it happened was because he because he rolled like two ones on an encounter roll. Like I was like, okay, what kind of creature will I encounter? And he rolled just terribly unlucky, like, really badly. And all of a sudden, the stakes went from, you know, oh, just trying to fight my way home to fending off against a powerful creature. And, yeah, I definitely think that's something you that can definitely happen in uh, roleplays especially, where, you know, luck can really instantly turn up the stakes. But at the same time, I also think you then need to be careful that you don't let luck, you know, cause too much chaos or that the stakes don't remain, you know, too extreme too long. Because otherwise it just becomes too disorganized and it becomes hard to really, you know, follow along and keep up with, you know, with the danger and such and the stakes. Yeah, you want to keep stuff also, like, consistent and mm -hmm. have, like, a map of going, okay, we deal with the weird gnolls who are performing experiments and we go on to the, uh, I know, the big minotaur dude who's been hunting, you know, uh, NPCs we've been helping. You know, you don't want to jump from, okay, we beat up the uh, big uh, giant crab to, oh god, that's a devil. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we were talking about high stakes. Yes. So, um, yeah, I guess I can really start with this because I've written several settings where the stakes are a lot higher than, you know, it, like the stories that you write, Maya. Um, I can try, like I'm trying to think like what's the best way to start with this because I think that the first thing that I want to say is that in general I think that stakes like especially with high stakes they can also help in creating an atmosphere for your story. Um, if you set the stakes real high to start, it can definitely be kind of like you know um, a risky op a risky thing to do because you risk having to keep building the stakes wor like more and more even though it doesn't really make sense to scale with so much by like at once. But um. I think that, for instance, one thing I can really say is that if, let's say, you have a setting that's kind of post-apocalyptic, you can kind of have the stakes of, like, you know, the apocalypse kind of um, build the world for you. Like, let's say the world's ended already, and then you can keep focusing on stakes based on that, like, you know, just surviving through the end times, really. And, yeah, I actually have a setting like that, which is um, a sci-fi setting where, basically, the, as a... Genetic modification, like labor laboratory on a planet, was basically destroyed completely, and now the scientists need to survive and such. And the stakes mainly there are indeed survival, but it also becomes more of a stake of like personal relationships, as you know the characters start you know meeting up and like finding each other again, and yeah, trying to survive together. And at that point, you really get some more stakes, which are more personal as well, while also having the high stakes as well. Yeah, I I, I mean yeah, that's what, what about I can say I suppose. I mean. Maybe you guys have something to add to that or something to suggest, but yeah, that's how I usually work with high stakes. So, uh, obviously, once again, have to plug. Xenoblade 3 just finished. 
all all day for Saga. And each story had a different sort of stakes. Uh, mostly, oh my god, the world is ending in some sort of way. Uh, except for Free. Free had a very interesting one. Where the world was going to end in like a thousand years. But also time wasn't moving. But it was really interesting because it was like basically the main bad the main characters were like we want to destroy this world because this world sucks and we want a new world to be made <laughs> and i think that's how you can do unique high stakes because most of the time high stakes are oh the world is going to end if we don't succeed what if if you don't succeed everything stays the same <laughs> That's also, that's where you build a society that is terrible and you have your characters change it and why you should have to change it. And I think that's a high-stakes story, you know. But it, but mostly the society sucks so bad that it eventually leads to, uh, <laughs> you know, the destruction of the world. <laughs> um, I initially didn't think I had much to say about high-stakes, but... I do actually have one thing to say. Okay, well, it's not one thing. Um, I'm finally going to bring up my primary brain rot uh, on the show, Destiny. And Destiny is a, for those of you that don't know, a game series that's been going since 2014. It's had continually very high stakes. If you fail, humanity faces extinction. That has been pretty much at stake since the open of the game. Well, okay, it's... wasn't always that quite there, but after Dirk Blow, basically. And the threats that appear are usually stronger than previous ones. Sometimes the threats that show up are not nearly as powerful as previous threats, but they bring something new to the table. Something while maybe not as outright capable of collapsing your forces, not as outright strong, they do other types of damage. Uh, they undermine or worm their way inside your defenses and turn people against each other. The, I say recent, but the DLC from two years ago, uh, Witch Queen, was actually all about that, as over the years an enemy had infiltrated the basically the leading council as one of the advisors and had tricked us for a long time we were finally getting revenge for that but there were still consequences of deception and the stakes felt high even though we had really honestly faced more threatening more direct threats uh, the open of destiny 2 featured the city in which all the organized remnants of humanity remained getting captured and partially destroyed. The tower, the symbol of hope for the city, was destroyed. Uh, so really, honestly, the highest in terms of destruction stakes were probably in the case of the Red War when we lost, but the stakes are still high and feel intense with a character that didn't 
actually manage to do any physical damage. All of Savathun's damage is more kind of on the mental and sociological scale. I mean, I, I myself have like little experience with Destiny. Like I've seen like some like uh, videos really analyzing the lore, and it's definitely interesting when you have like a setting that's already like at the end of the world. Like I think I mentioned this before as well, like earlier on, that um, you know you can have like a setting that's already kind of ended, sort of like the stakes of something else have already occurred, and the world has changed for the worse and such. And yeah, you can definitely run off that like what will be the uh, the effects for the survivors that you know stay there, and. Um, I think I kind of want to point this towards one of my favorite movies of all time, and probably one of the most terrifying movies out there, um, Threads from 1984. Have you guys heard of that movie? I have not. Okay, I, I don't watch a lot. I kind of live under a rock. No, That's fair. It's a bit of an obscure movie. It's a British movie set, um, I believe, like well, around the in the Cold War, and it's basically a movie about what would happen in a realist, realistic scenario... Um, if a nuke is like sen- like nuclear uh, war happens, you know, like a nuclear World War Three, and the whole movie, it f- it's really like these huge stakes. Like you see, like the effects it has on people. Like people are like panicking and such. People are in denial. They're saying like, oh, there's not going to be a nuclear war. And then when the consequences finally happen, it's it's like with a snap, it suddenly just goes all to hell. But then it's what's surprising is the fact that it's only halfway through the movie when like the consequences really hit. And um, right away, like afterwards, the entire second of the movie is basically showing the consequences for the future survivors. And one of the main characters you see is like a, a soon-to-be mother who basically loses everything during the like the whole ex- nuclear exchange. And um, you basically see the stakes that she has to go through, where she's expecting a child, and she needs to you know raise it in what's basically the end of the world. And the stakes are... It, at first, it seems like, okay, there's some still some stakes left over, you know? Like, oh, there's the huge stakes of raising a child. But at the end of the day, it, it also becomes, becomes obvious that there is not really a battle anymore. Like, the stakes are... The, like, it's already been lost, basically. Uh, yeah. Like, oh, anyway, in regards to, like, the movie itself, I really highly recommend watching it because it's absolutely terrifying. It's one of the scariest movies out there. Definitely want to do it, like, if you're going to, like, talk about horror later on the line, like, in uh, November... I I think I have heard about this actually, um, because one of my friends is a nuclear engineer, another one is a physicist, uh, and they t- they like to watch really scary shit, and they have said they will never watch this. It's absolutely horrific, and the stakes of it are just you see everything happen. There's no like they're not pulling punch, like they're not uh, holding back or anything. It's like, I genuinely cannot underestimate how terrifying the movie is. And the stakes are really just, you see the stakes right away, and you see the consequence of it, and it really hits home. And it especially happens because it feels like it's a realistic situation. It feels like it can be something that happens to anyone. And that really ups the ante of it, because you're feeling like, this could be me in in like the worst case scenario. This could be what happens to all of us. And that's just terrifying, really. Wow. <laughs> Those are definitely some stakes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Extreme. Uh, yeah. I think that you can also make terrifying like high like high end stakes that aren't, you know, the entire world is over like everything is done, you know. Like um with the vampire setting I mentioned before, I mentioned the hunter and such, who's like a you know, a pretty it's a pretty high stake. But another thing that I really have like uh, like a plan that I have in the story is that um currently the characters, right, they are in a um 
Uh, the main character is part of an organization which focuses on protecting like young vampires and such and making sure that they can survive in the modern world, right? Because, you know, in this world you kind of need that, especially in like a world where supernatural things are, you know, kind of secretive. And one of the stakes that I imagine is that um, there's probably going to be some sort of takeover in the future in terms of, um, let's say, somebody trying to get revenge on somebody else and taking over a, an entire organization. And in the process, I'm pretty sure the main character is going to lose a lot. And I'm, it's like you need to. I'm currently building slowly, building up to it by, for instance, introducing some of the main, like the the main servants of that main like villain that's going to happen. And yeah, I think that is right now. It's very interesting because um, the threat is certainly looming, and there's also this mystery to like how this threat is even there because um, in the story it's been set up like, okay, this main villain that's going to try and take everything over. She's she's been killed already. She's dead, and somehow she survived it. And yeah, I think that's also like interesting. Like you like point towards somebody like constantly like, okay, this person is like a former villain who is presumably dead, and suddenly they can come back, and the f the stakes suddenly get upped up up upped by a lot, you know. And it's definitely interesting to you know. I think it's interesting in a way. Yeah, I I just looked up the plot synopsis for the movie, and yeah, I assume <laughs> that's the one they watched. That's the main picture that they uh, show off with the movie. It is terrifying. It's, that is. Um, Oh boy, that's a movie. Not what I'm gonna be watching. <laughs> I mean, I'd say if we like Halloween, it's definitely worth a watch because it really is just terrifying. But um, yeah, let's say that the themes it has is just ugh. it's it makes you your stomach like uh, it makes your stomach ache with disgust and horror. Yep, uh, I'm not a big horror fan, honestly. Fair enough, yeah. I mean, I, I understand that. The only horror movie I've really enjoyed was uh, Get Out by uh, Jordan Peele, I believe. Mm. Definitely. Um, That's a I find good that movie. One, yeah, it's a good, I've heard it's a good movie, and I especially find it... Uh, because wasn't that in a movie where one of the main characters was like a... Um, like traumatized due to like a... What was like a, a, a chimpanzee, right? Like no, a chimpanzee that's, uh, that's the other one he made. Oh, that's, that's the other one he made. Yeah, you're right. That's the other yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, yeah Get was... Out is the one where white people, uh, they have, like, one of the daughters, uh, spoilers, by the way, they have, one of the daughters goes around and gets, like, uh, black people has, as significant others, and they kidnap them and install, like, it their is, brains um, in them. It's reverse Great Replacement Theory. Yeah. I see. Interesting. <laughs> Which is, um... Mostly a joke with the conspiracy theory, but yeah, it's he. They are literally swapping their brains into the bodies of younger black people to continue living beyond. Because in a lot of cases, it's older white folks doing this. Oh, okay, makes sense. Yeah, I don't think any yeah. of the youngers had gotten doing it themselves yet. No, but it was really freaky, and one of the most chilling moments in that movie is where he finds all the pictures of, like, all the black people who he recognizes, uh, who are, like, Ooh. strangely, and it's, like, and all of them are pictures with who he thought was his girlfriend. <laughs> and oh, he's like, that's oh, neat, too. Oh, my God. Yeah, twists like that can really add to the terror and, like, uh, horror like, and aspects of such movies. Just yeah. like, oh, this person you knew before? Yeah, no, that's that's not who you think they are. Uh, Ian, you're uh, the oldest among us. Yes. Maya mentioned Halloween. I just want to bring up this uh, story. 
Did you, did you have a? What's the deal with Halloween Free? Have uh, you seen it? I no, I haven't actually. Um, Halloween Free has nothing to do with Michael Myers. By the way, uh, what? Yeah, I I don't know much about the Halloween movies. I've mostly just um. There was a YouTuber I watched who did like discussions of movies a few years ago. And he talked about the Halloween movies, so I know a little bit, but I've never seen any of them. So, Halloween 1 and 2 are about Michael Myers. Right. And Halloween 3 isn't... It's it's about, like, some microchip masks that make people's face explode and stuff. It's, <laughs> what? It wasn't a very... It, well, it, it, it wasn't a great movie. And immediately they went, okay, Halloween 4 is going to be Return of Michael Myers. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. It it was like they basically they wanted to turn the Halloween franchise into an anthology. And this is something we can talk about stakes, where it's like, okay, we can't go any further than what we have. Let's just write something kind of similar, but change like the dynamic. You know, when you think of something like maybe American Horror Story or other anthology like series. But the problem with that is some people. <laughs> Well, Halloween free sucked. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, they immediately backpedaled and went, "Nope, nope, nope. Uh, we'll uh, we'll make uh, the next one <laughs> uh, about Michael Myers again." I I think the thing about if you want to make anthologies, you have to kind of state from the beginning that's what you're doing, because if you make continuity and then go, okay, and now for something completely different. That's going to put people off. Yeah, mm. it's going to take people out of the universe and make them feel like, well, this is not what I wanted to see. Mm. And uh, people in the 80s were probably really confused. <laughs> They're like, there's, there's no slasher in this movie. God, remember when slashers were a thing? Crazy. I, I never really cared much about slashers, sadly. <laughs> Yeah, they were really a thing of, like, the 70s and 80s, weren't they? Fair enough. Contra Could probably cons- grew, grew up with those. Could you consider, yeah, like, Silence of the uh, Lambs like a slasher, almost? No, cons- that's, like, no. psychological. Fair yeah. enough, yeah. Well, it's also good. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, yeah. Scream oh, 6 is coming out this year? <laughs> what? So, <laughs> slashers aren't entirely gone. Well, yeah, but no one's like, oh my god, I can't wait for Scream 6. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly don't know anyone who is, but as aforementioned, I I live under a rock. Who are you people? SpongeBob reference. <laughs> Best show to reference. Yeah. I've, I've never seen SpongeBob. That's crazy. Uh, let's, talk weird, about but... hi- <laughs> let's talk about hype management then. And uh, before we end up. All right. So, what is hype management, Maya? Hype management. Um, well, it's related to kind of the concept I said earlier with stakes. You don't want to have high stakes all the time because your readers are going to get worn out. And hype kind of ties into that as well. Things can't be all super hype all the time. There's got to be things that just aren't hype. Because then the hype is no longer special. Uh, and 
to talk about this, I wanted to bring up Brandon Sanderson's writing because uh-huh. that is uh-huh. one of the things I believe uh-huh. he does really, really well is manage the hype of the reading experience. There is a moment, I believe it's commonly referred to as the uh, Sanderlanch by other readers. I simply refer to it as The Happening, mm-hmm. where you can't put the book down. It's usually the last like 25% of the book. It's usually somewhere in there is when it happens. And the stakes get amped up. You're invested in what's going on. It's usually pretty consistently like all action. There's a lot of stuff going on. In the Stormlight Archive series, there's usually a major battle of some sort ongoing. Or in one particular case, a court scene. (laughs) That one actually has some of the most hype in the series. Is that court scene? Hmm. Um, another another key feature of the Sanderlanch is um, you can usually tell it's going on when it starts rapidly switching between multiple point of view characters. Yes, hmm. that is something that Sanderson does in general. He writes multiple POVs, and then when all the things are happening at once, so you're pretty rapidly switching between POVs, things are happening. Hence the the happening. Yeah. And well, don't don't say the happening because that's an M Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah, I was thinking like, <laughs> is this about the movie about trees killing people? Yeah, <laughs> no. But yeah, on the same uh, note though, Maya of hype management, this is actually something that is really my experience when it comes to understanding writing and how to do stuff. Actually, comes from pro wrestling, and what you're describing is what we call hot shotting. So the hot shotting is where you put on. All your big things on every week. We need a new big match every week, every week, every year. It has to be something new and inventive. That's hot-shotting, and it works for a little while. But eventually people get burnt out, and, and you know, people can only see the, the top rope grenade so many times before it doesn't become special anymore. <laughs> and that ends up in another wrestling turn, which is killing the town. You've burnt through all your tricks. People have seen them all before. There's nothing for me to come back and nothing new for me to see. And that's the thing. When you're writing, you have to, if you are going to do something, make sure you have an escalation or something new to say after you do that. Because otherwise, you know, I've seen this before. Uh, You have to add new elements. You have to evolve. Otherwise, guess what? You've killed the town. You've killed your audience. Your audience has already seen it. And they have no motivation to see. And you find this a lot with long-running shows like The Walking Dead. A lot of people basically went, they understood the formula. It was go to new place, new, uh, like, other human community attacks, deal with that, lose place, move to new place. And once people understood that formula, the stakes kind of didn't matter because, oh, we've seen this before. And you've killed your audience. And you saw over time, the audience just went, yeah, we've seen all this before. This is our third rodeo. We can't get invested in this type of story anymore. Give us something new. And they couldn't get get anything new by that point. Like, the writing wasn't 
bad per se. I mean, that, just... that sounds a little bit like bad writing right there. Is yeah, but it's more in in isolation. The writing is fine. The story makes sense, but it's sins of the past. You've already done it. You can't keep telling the same story over and over. People want something new for your characters. And you also need to show restraint in, you know, showing the new things one after another. You know, you can't just have it like, oh, it's one thread after one thread after one thread. You can't just do that. And there's got to be time to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is something that I would point to. So the new wrestling corporation started a few years ago was AEW. But my, I've looked at them and I think they ran way too quick and they went way too fast. And they've really suffered from like, audience burnout now it's like oh another one of these is like geez can we just slow it down focus on long-term stories instead of t- telling this week to week or month to month or day to day can we plan out something over eight months and be like this is our story now where we want to end up and here's our big points in between <laughs> i think they're worried about being able to compete with wwe i would suspect well yeah don't try to compete with WWE. You'll never beat them. <laughs> be the alternative. Don't try to beat them. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I don't think they're trying to beat them. I think it's yeah. a even being the alternative is something that would be difficult in that market. Sure, but I think chasing down WWE or trying to have like too much growth has stunted them, which is something else. But that's something you got to consider when you're writing is. You know, if you start getting into those profit mindsets or the business mind, long term, it builds constantly. It's a lot slower progress, but it builds. Whereas if you go for those hot shot ideas, like we're okay, I'm gonna, we're gonna have the romance happen here and we're gonna evolve it quickly in the next thing, you'll see like a, a quick increase, but usually they fall by a large drop. Capitalism kills art. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking so much about Marvel right now. It's like the, the key word right now is like, oh God, f- like fatigue of the products that are being presented. Like, we've seen this before. The stakes no longer matter. It just becomes boring after a while. Yeah, so the idea has to be make something different or new then, isn't it? Hmm. And uh, th- that is the f- thing. It's like, how many times can I see this character or character in this world do this thing and go, wow, isn't that awesome? It's like, no, you have to give me a new reason. When the stakes are no longer what draws people in, you then have to rely on things like character, character relationships, your world being interesting. And if you don't have that, you're not pulling in people then because you're relying on your stakes or cameos, or hotshot things, which are short-term gains, which I think Marvel has relied on. It's cameos, or reveals, or stuff like this. And those only work for so long. You know? Yeah. I think the thing that you mentioned about, like, you know, having character and setting really, uh, you know, drive the story, that can also actually work quite well with having stage, you know, because if you get people invested in the character stories, then it doesn't really matter what kind of, like, you know, uh, what happens to them, because as long as you can get easy stakes with them, if you care about the character or a world that's being written, it's easier to, you know, have stakes happen with them, because people just tend to care for them more. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's, like, 
this character is fighting like the guy who wants to rule the world or this character is like i don't know trying to make his date on time if i care about him and care about his story i can be invested in both those things <laughs> okay um, i think we're pretty good <laughs> yeah i think that is just about what all we had wanted to cover in today's episode so do we have anything in the mailbag, Ian? Uh, we do not have anything to share today. Uh, so I just want to remind everyone listening, if you want to reach out to us, we have an email address. It is fanfictapes at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you if you have anything that you want to share that you've done from our writing prompts or if you have any other work that you want us to talk about on the show. Um I believe we also have a Twitter. Maya, what's we our Twitter? We do, at FanFictionTapes. All right, so you can also reach out to us on Twitter there. Uh, we'd also appreciate it if you would leave a rating or review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to this show. And this week we have a challenge for any of our listeners who are of the writing persuasion Take the level of stakes you usually write with and try inverting it. If you're like me and you write lower stake, fluffy stuff, try writing something where the world has to be saved. Or if you write something where worlds, countries, nations are at risk, write something where the greatest thing at risk is a skinned knee or a B- minus on a test. To be fair, I think skin knees are pretty terrible. <laughs> let's just say a scratch. I think that's pretty, uh, yeah. pretty nasty. Let, let, let's not get too crazy here. <laughs> All right. I am and have been Maya. And today I was joined by... Joined by me, Dylan. And uh, after this episode, you'll be able to find me on uh twitch probably uh twitch.tv slash svg dylan i'll be playing legend of zelda tears of the kingdom i'm very excited to start uh by the time this episode goes out i should have had a few vi uh vods already up on my twitch so you can watch those uh yeah i guess i've also been here um i don't really have anything to plug but um yeah make sure to keep following the podcast and uh yeah hopefully um you enjoy what we've been saying and as always i am our producer ian Thank you for listening. Bye.